Welcome to the Leading Below the Surface podcast, where we get beyond the book and into our day-to-day lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of the Leading Below the Surface podcast. I'm Latanya Wilkins, and I'm excited to be here today, joined by my producer, Adam Smigo. And today we are going to be talking about a very important topic. It's all about sobriety in the workplace. And we entitled this Forgotten Diversity because it is forgotten diversity. And we don't hear a lot of people talking about sobriety in the workplace, making accommodations for people who are sober in the workplace, and even just basic considerations for sobriety in the workplace. I remember when I was working in corporate and I had a few employees that were actually getting sober and there wasn't really much I could do to help them. You know, in many, in a couple of those instances, I actually was pretty much forced to manage them out. So I did some things under, under the table and on the side to leave below the surface and make sure they landed on their feet. So with that said, I'm really I'm excited to welcome a guest today. Her name is Katie Aluatoyan and she's very impressive. So, so Katie is the founder of an organization called Sober Black Girls. If you haven't heard of them, follow them on Instagram. They share a lot of wellness advice as well as sobriety advice, Whether no matter where you are on your journey. It's also just a great place to learn a little bit more about sobriety, especially from a Black perspective and a woman perspective, so an intersectional perspective. So Sober Black Girls has about 2,000 members from all over the world. In 20, It started as a blog in 2018. And then in 2020, it turned into a collective, evolved into that. And then in 2022, it became a nonprofit. So as you know, Katie has been very busy. Katie is the founder of this organization. Um, and she's also an attorney. So that's that's neat that she she balances all of this. So Katie, welcome. Welcome, Natanya. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Right. So So what did I miss about you? Tell us a little bit more. Okay. So yes. Hi, I'm from New York. I'm a New Yorker. And yes, I actually created Sober Black Girls Club in 2018 um, as a blog um, when I was starting my sober journey. And I realized that I needed to get sober uh, in 2017 after I had graduated from law school, uh, working as an attorney and I was miserable, drinking a lot. I needed to stop drinking and after receiving the advice from my therapist, I noticed that I couldn't stop drinking. And honestly, the word addiction, the uh, the ideation, the thought of addiction was so foreign to me. Like no degree, nothing could prepare me for what I was about to embark on at all. I never, I never just even thought a person like me could even um, encounter an addiction because I didn't run through my family. I didn't see anyone in my neighborhood with it or anyone I knew personally at that time. You know, now I know that addiction actually does run rampant in our community. However, it's just really hidden and we're just somewhat very functional in our addiction for the most part. And so we're not. Um, and yeah, so then in 2017, when I tried to get sober, I was like, okay, uh, using my blog as a way to, to document, um, the journey is how I started. So that was love. So yeah, that's just a little FYI. <laughs> so I'm really interested in how this evolved. So it sounds like you were getting sober and then you started a blog and did, 
people just flocked to that blog and then you decided to turn it into something else? Yeah. So, you know, like, so, okay. So when I graduated, um, long story short, through therapy <clears throat> and a lot of self-recovery, I learned that it was the stillness and like the nine to five, the just the mundane of everyday life that made me like really depressed. I wasn't used to that. For all my life, you know, you had dance class, you had Quran class, you had school, you had Saturday school. You know, you were competing for awards and for ceremonies and for participating in this and participating in that. And then like, I wasn't prepared for adulthood just to wake up and just go to work. And then that was it. I wasn't prepared for that. And because again, like a lot of our, our livelihoods, especially as people living in capitalism, as black people, as women, we are, are a lot of our worth is honestly based on productivity and overproductivity and working and seeing like we're basing ourselves on how much we can get done. So when I was removed from like school and placed into this mundane setting, I, I my self-worth decreased horribly. So um, the blog, so yeah, so when I tried to get sober and I was you know going to some programs and meetings, I realized that there weren't a lot of people who looked like me. Um, so I wanted to document the experience because I thought that other girls probably were going through the same thing. And I wanted some form of community and I chose to write about it in a blog, hoping that I could form community. And, and that, was, that was in 2018 when I, when I created um, Sober Blackness Club. So I tried, so yeah, I think I mixed up the dates 2017. So 2017 is when I graduated from law school. Um, and I think that was like the beginning of my addiction. It was in 2018 that I that I created Sober Blackness Club. I did mix up the years. 2017, graduated from law school. 2018 is when I created Sober Blackness Club. And then 2020, when we had the pandemic, and that same sense of like you know where everyone's productivity got turned down, and that stillness arose, and other <laughs> girls and people in general, had to sit with themselves in that silence, right? And they couldn't work. They couldn't overperform. They couldn't do things that, you know, they based their worth and their confidence on. When that when that went away, they ought to turn to alcohol. And um, the truth is, like, yes, even before I graduated law school, let's be real, my drinking habits were, were nuts, right? But the goal is that you would think once you graduate from school, you will, your drinking habits will, you know, I guess return to, or go towards someone of like a normal drinking practice, which they say maybe like two or three glasses a week of, of what a woman should be drinking, right? And that's, that's the goal, that's the hope, but mine didn't. It just stayed or it increased, it got even worse. And similar to what I experienced, the woman during the pandemic, they experienced the same thing. Um, their drinking just kept on increasing, 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 increasing as the time went on. So a lot of them started to Google and search for support groups um, for black women. And that's how they became came across on my blog and, um, um, and that's how they found Silver Blackness Club and we became a collective. Yeah, so it's really it's really interesting. And I, I love to hear that you found this, this community. And just by putting yourself out there, maybe tell us a little bit more what it was like for you at work when you got sober. Was your job supportive? Were they not supportive? How did that go for you? Oh, I didn't get sober at work. I actually had to like leave um, 
So actually, work was a huge um, a trigger. Honestly, it was one of those triggering factors that kept me in the cycle of addiction, to be honest. Um, in a number of um, my places of employment, a number of the firms that I, I worked at, I was often one of the only Black people working there, often one of the only um, Black women working there as an attorney in an attorney position. And alcohol is very frequent and welcomed in law firms. Everyone is drinking. And it's like, it's normal to be a drinker, to be a heavy drinker. And it's normal to have alcohol related issues in working as an attorney. The hope is, is that you just, you're functional. And if you're not functional, then goodbye. You know, I had one incident, incident at one of my jobs where I did drink on a job. Um, I mean, clearly the alcohol was provided, but I did get drunk on the job. And I know me saying that another attorney could be listening to this and be like, so what? But for me, it just wasn't, um, it just wasn't something that I would normally do, especially again, just being in an environment where I'm the only black woman there among people that I just didn't feel safe, you know, safe with. And I was clearly intoxicated and, you know, I never showed up back to work actually the next day or maybe two days later i went to rehab no one ever checked in on me no one ever followed up you know just they just didn't care um and it was a lot of that it was a lot of going to work trying to prove myself um trying to be the person that i thought everyone wanted me to be or the person that i had to perform up to be and at the same time trying to um, escape from or wanting to desperately escape from the life that I was living. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm really sorry you to go through that. And I think it's a it's a very familiar story, where being the only one at work can be such a stressor and a trigger. And I know you were you were leaving your job and and you you left your job in order to get sober. And I was hoping you can tell the our listeners, maybe what are some of the challenges that that people in your community face when they're getting sober at work like what are some of the common things that that you hear and especially maybe even get into that from an intersectional perspective when it comes to black women um i mean oftentimes like we are in the position where we are in charge of like paying the bills and taking care of multiple people um in the household so i often tell people that like there's a variety or your recovery should come first. Like it's okay to to take leave. It's okay to like ask for some time off and just try to get a couple of days in before um, returning to work. And I, I think oftentimes we're scared to be judged or labeled as you know crazy or incompetent or lazy. So that's an, a common you know a common fear of one. You know if we don't work, then who's gonna pay the bills? And two. We don't want our employers to think that we're, we're lazy or dumb or incompetent or can't do the job that we have signed up or told them that we could perform, can perform. Um, in terms of getting sober, I think emotional triggers, you know? I think every day we can all, you know, I'm at work now. I literally, before, as we were getting, as we were preparing to record this, something, you know, I had to get off, um, off the screen with you and go handle something and it's just like again just all these microaggressions 
all like hostility for absolutely no reason. And if I was drinking or if I was in early recovery or even in my addiction, this is these are things that I would storm out and go to a bar and drink over, right? So again, it's just a lot of triggers. And then early on when we are trying to get sober, these triggers can really feel life-threatening. It can feel unsafe. It can feel like something that we need to drink over. And that's why I, I often do tell people, like sometimes you're gonna need to take that break from work to at least at least build some emotional flexibility or strength because it's not easy it's not easy to be around people who one we've had years of history of again violence and microaggressions and macroaggressions and now that we're in this vulnerable state where our emotions and and mental and fatigue are like at 10 like it's just it's not easy uh, so definitely that, like trying to overcome triggers. I think those three are the main things that I hear. Yeah, those are very profound points. And one of the things that you said that I want to make sure, and I want to echo it and even repeat it again, is Black women, we, we tend to take care of a lot of things, right? We're not, it's not just work, it's family, it's everybody else's and everybody else's emotions. And then you talked about microaggressions and macroaggressions and sometimes just flat out aggressions. And Sometimes we just don't have healthy ways to deal with those. And it's like we're supposed to walk through the workplace and with armor on every day and just let those things bounce off us. But it doesn't really work that way. And if we don't have healthy coping mechanisms, which are difficult to develop, especially when you're taking care of everybody else, that's when you know addiction can set in. And and so it's this, it's this vicious circle. And it's it's giving people just a picture of what that looks like. Because a lot of us, if you don't have anyone in your family that's sober or that suffered from addiction, you probably don't know this. And you probably don't know what their triggers are. And it's it's really about having, you know, staying sober is about having more healthier ways to deal with things, to deal with triggers, to deal with stress. And um, as Katie said, taking some time away. So I do want to leave we our listeners with a few tips. This is something we like to do in every show. So if you let, let's imagine you are a manager at work and you are managing sober employees or you are a manager that cares about sober employees and you want to make the workplace more inclusive what are maybe three things that you would do as a manager or even as an employee that wants to make the culture better to create a a more inclusive workplace for sobriety all right well number one thing is stop well, maybe not stop because I, I don't like absolutes. But if you're going to cons- if you're going to provide alcohol, um, alcoholic beverages, alcohol related gifts at like your functions, parties, happy hours, provide non-alcoholic a- options as well. And I'm not just talking about beer. I mean, a beer. I'm not just talking about like Coke and juice. Like, no, like we are evolving. There are alcohol free gins and mocktails and cocktails and alcohol free vodkas get creative go on google google is your best friend it'll tell it'll provide all these different options for you that's the biggest thing because i even for me at work i remember like saying to myself i'm not gonna drink today i'm not going to drink today come to work there's a bottle on my desk right so if a person is trying to get just julia day one it's really hard when I'm just being thrown, like alcohol is just being shoved down my throat. And I think also like, yeah, provide those options, but also 
stop providing them too. Like just stop consistently or constantly providing them. Get creative again with with your rewards. Regardless if someone is an addiction or not, alcohol is just not the healthiest thing. It's just not healthy. It, it, it is a poison. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a health nut. And maybe I shouldn't say a nut for lack of better words. I'm not a health nut, right? I'm not one of those conspiracy theorists. I shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. I don't want to speak in the absolutes. I think moderation is great. I think life is hard. I think people should be able to indulge in things that bring them happy and joy. And I don't judge. Do what you want, right? But I think that when we're, when we're being real and we're really looking at like, the totality of enjoyment and relaxation and 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 how we have fun in this country look at the numbers a lot of people suffer from addiction a lot of people die from addiction so really provide use google find other ways to provide relaxation joy happiness and fellowship for your um, employees and i know yes. you said, you said joy fellowship those <laughs> words <laughs> those are yes yes you know it's uh your your comments made me think back to the holiday season and every year someone sends me wine and i give it uh i every year i give it to my partner and i'm thinking to your point it's not a it's it's not absolutes don't do it or not it's use google like there's so many other things i would prefer like uh, you know, there's, I travel a lot, so you could get me a travel kit or you could get me all these other, these things that, you know, could work. You give me a book, but why buy people wine? Why buy people alcohol? Like things that are just not necessarily great for your health anyway. So really appreciate that point. You know, one other thing before we, we wrap. So you had said that you took some time off in order to get sober. What's something that leaders can do to offer that time off to people? If they're, I mean, because I know a lot of people don't want to go there. If they're suspecting because they don't want to say the wrong thing or they don't want to say something illegal. But is there a way that you would suggest for a leader to be able to have this conversation and, and just basically create the psychological safety for someone to take that time off? I mean, I think like in, in the beginning of any hiring process or employee welcoming session, I haven't like worked for anyone in a long time. So I don't really remember these lingos, right? <laughs> I don't remember these lingos and terminology, but the welcoming session or um, interviews, interviewing process, I think like it's really important that an employer interviewer lets the prospective employee or interviewer know that I know it's different by state from state, but that they are allowed and provided state protections when it comes to like their medical health and mental health and recovery health is a part of that. So if there's something going on with them um, in regards to their wellness, their mental health, they are they don't have to provide an extensive detail to why they need time off to why they need a break they can just request it and i think that it's up to the employer to make the employee prospective employee feel assured or reassured or feel safe you know and that can be i don't know like a, a heartfelt speech or um a letter i'm not really too sure in regards to how to go about that but i just think it being genuine it being 
authentic and then also putting that into practice because we know employees talk <laughs> to each other right so again we know like when an employee if an employee gets fired we hear to the grapevine what happens how, how did it happen you know what 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 went on the same way as if an employee puts in okay i need time off and they just say that and it was granted that's going to get a go around too. like, listen, I was going through something and I put it in a letter and, you know, I just said it was for this reason. And I wasn't asked any questions. They just said, yes, they let me know that, you know, they have my, they support me and um, they proved it. That goes a long way also. So action is, is a big indicator that um, it's a big indicator that employers actually do care and respect the wellness of, of the employees. Absolutely. That's great advice. And those are those are some good examples that I think will provide value to all of you folks listening. So thank you so much, Katie, for for being here with us today, telling us a little bit about your org and your journey, also sharing very vulnerably today, uh, some very personal details that a lot of folks would not feel comfortable doing. And I know you do that because I know you know it can help someone else. And hopefully this did help someone else. We'll put more information on how to get in touch with Sober Black Girls and Katie in the episode notes. And we'll wrap that up. So that's about it. And we'll see you next week, folks. Thank you. Thank you.